So it's really good to see everybody. I want to thank y'all for coming and being part of the class today. Uh, this is the last chance I'll get to be with y'all until May. May. No. So, uh, yeah, May. John will be here in next month, and then Matt will have y'all in April, and I'll be back in May. So I do want to try to finish up Luke chapter 11 today. Um, last time we were together, we uh, finished up a three-week study in prayer. I hope that everybody's been practicing that in their lives. It's, uh, in your daily lives, working on your prayer life, trying to pray more. Trying to pay, pray more effectively, trying to pray more according to the scriptures, right? And so um, let's open with a word of prayer, and, uh, and then we'll get into our discussion of Luke 11, 14 through 28. <clears throat> Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to come into your presence through the power of your spirit and through the privilege of your son Jesus and study your word. Um, we do realize that your word is life and that we need life. We, your word is uh, a light in a world full of darkness and we desperately need you. So please be with us now in this time of study. Help us to focus our thoughts on you. Focus our thoughts on what you're saying to us through your scriptures. Help us to take these scriptures, um, use them to conform us to the image of your son, Christ Jesus, and give us the strength and the willingness, if you will, Lord, to go out and share those truths with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 So, in our study of the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels, we've got to a point and we're in the book of Luke. Um, I was actually this morning looking at um, where we go after this uh, for, for June, to, uh, May, and, uh, and later on in the year. Um, hopefully th- this year we're going to be in Luke 12 through 15 and John 9 through 12. That'll be the, the area of focus for the rest of my classes for the year. Luke 9 through 15, uh, 11 through 15. And then John 9 through 12. So, uh, if you want to prepare ahead of time before you come to class, um, we'll probably be in Luke chapter 12 next time we come back together in a couple months. So, I do hope that y'all's other classes go well and that y'all continue to grow. So, uh, in our study of the life of the harmony of the Gospels, um, Jesus had just finished teaching us how to pray and about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And today, we're going to get into a section of Scripture where we're going to see a part of Jesus' prayer uh, being put into practical application. One of the, the, the petitions of the Lord's Prayer was, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want each of you to understand that God's will is being fulfilled right now, this very second, His will is being done. And the question is, are we going to trust Him and walk in that will, or are we going to reject it and fight against it? And the truth of the matter is, God's will is being played out in the world around us right now. When you watch the news, and you see all this crazy stuff happening, and you see all these conspiracies and all this craziness going on around us, remember, God is in control. He's not up in heaven pulling his hair going, oh no, what am I going to do with these people? And the reality is, is God even as sovereign, has the ability to use the rebellion and the sinfulness of man for our good and his glory. It's hard for us to see that when we're drowning in it. But the reality is his will is being done. And not only that, not only in a worldwide fulfillment of his will, there's also a will for your life too, isn't there? Like a personal will that is being played out this day. Now, what is the what is God's will for you as a child of God, as a believer? What is he, what is He seeking to do? 
to put myself away and live for him. Okay, to die for self and live for him. That's what we do, but what is his goal? I think Jesus tells us that we are going to be conformed to the image of Christ. Mm -hmm. The Bible tells us that his whole will is for us to be in the same way that he took that dirt in the garden and molded Adam into his image in the garden. In a spiritual way, he is molding us on the inside to be conformed to the image of his son Jesus. So, Michael, if God is at work in your heart and in your life, over a long span of time throughout your life, you should be able to look and see what happening. Uh, changing. You, God changing you, and you becoming more what? Christ-like. And it's a, and right. Uh, what, what's that old nursery hymn we used to sing when we were? In, he's still working on me. It took him seven days to create the moon and the stars, but he's still working on me, right? Oh, I need the words of that song. <laughs> sing it all through the yeah. day. Uh, you have to Google it. I don't know where it is. But it's a song. It says, He's still working on me. It took him uh, seven days to create the moon and the stars, Which Mercury and Mars. But he's still working <laughs> on me, right? And that should be the truth. And so what we're going to see here in this section is we need to realize that the kingdom of God was being established at that point. All right? Um we're going to see exorcisms. We're going to see him casting demons out of people. And the reality is, is that when God created Adam and Eve, God created Adam and Eve to have dominion. What does it mean to have dominion? To rule, to rule over all of the earth. To take care of all of the animals. To take care of all of the plants. To take care of the creation around them. To take care of one another, right? Well, when they fell in sin, what did they lose? They handed that dominion over from themselves. And who got dominion of this world? Satan. Satan. And so as we read the Bible and we look at things playing out, Satan is doing whatever he can do to keep control. But when Jesus comes, when God becomes flesh and, and enters his creation and walks among us, what happens to the devil's control? It starts being loosed. You see? And in a personal way, that's the way it happens in your life too, yeah. isn't it? Right? But when we're dead in trespasses and sin, walking according to the course of this world, our lives are not in control. We don't take care of ourselves. Nope. We don't take care of the world around us. Nope. And we don't care take care of one another. Right? Nope. But when God speaks into the heart of a human being and says, let there be light, just like he did in the creation, what happens? Light comes into your life and then that light starts emanating from out of you. Can you help but emanate? Yeah. And so as you continue to grow, that light becomes more and more evident. And that's where our joy comes from. And so what we're seeing in this is we're seeing that God, through His Son Jesus Christ, is reestablishing His authority as the King. And the devil doesn't like it, does he? What does the devil do to Jesus? He nails Him to the cross. And the beauty of that is what? Even in the wicked, most wicked thing that men could do, nailing God to a tree... God was bringing salvation to His people through that act. That was why. And so, what we need to remember is is that God's kingdom is being established. And the point of this dialogue that we're going to read here, the the point of this narrative that we're going to read here, these parables, etc., is that God's kingdom is being established. And we need to ask ourselves, is it being established in me? Do I see the kingdom of God being established in my life? Right? So let's look at it together. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 28. It says, Jesus, and Jesus, or he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. 
When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others, to test him, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For if you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he has relied on and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me, and he who is not does not gather with me, scatters. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And not finding any, it says, I will return to the house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But Jesus said, <clears throat> On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. All right, so let's go back through now and look at this. One of the first things we see in verse 14 and 15, what is Jesus doing there in verse 14 and 15? Casting out a demon. Casting out a demon. Now, what is a demon? A fallen angel. Fallen angel, an evil spirit, right? And who is the prince of all of those fallen spirits? Satan. Satan. So in the same way that God has his hierarchy, right? Michael is his archangel, right? Michael, Michael is the archangel. Michael is the archangel. Not this Michael, but the Michael. The okay? Now, arc means what? Peak, the highest. And remember, at one time, who was the archangel? The devil. So what that means is that Satan was the most powerful thing in all of creation. He was the most powerful created being in all of the creation. And remember when God cursed him, what did he say? From now on you will crawl on your belly like a snake and you will eat the dirt of the ground. Now, is the devil right now crawling around eating dirt on the ground? No, it's symbolic for the fact that he has now gone from the highest of all of creation to the lowest. But in the same way that God has Michael, his archangel, and has a whole hierarchy of angels watching over us, right? We have guardian angels protecting us. We have legions of angels watching over us at all times. And God has this hierarchy going on in the same way the devil does too. And so what's going on is there's this battle going on in heaven all around us all the time. But these demons are fallen angels and apparently, according to the scriptures, they are, uh, are able to possess people. So to get into their heart, God to get into their soul. Them. Why, why don't he just wipe them out? Yeah. Why didn't God just kill Satan? 
Well, he's going to, isn't he? Mm -hmm. it, when his kingdom is finally fully established. So he's using that evil for good. Just yes. like when, yes. when Jesus was yep. on the cross. So there was a guy named Jesus Martin Luther, and y'all know who Martin Luther is? He's got started one of the starters of the Protestant Reformation. And he, had, he made a statement and said this, even the devil is God's devil. God's servant. Yep. Like even in his rebellion and trying to destroy and hate everything about God that there is, God is still using him to bring about his purpose. He's dogging on a leash. Right. So when the devil attacks me and you, it's going to do one or two things. It's either going to cause us to doubt and reject God and curse God or turn to God and rely on God when the devil attacks. Good job. Yep. You see? And so these demons will possess people. They get inside of them and live in them and they control them. They can call. We we see through scriptures that, that there's something called sickness and death well, look and disease. Look what's happening all around and, us. Right. Um, and so Confusion. now for this Not class here, think about this. What what is one of the things that uh, that most folks in this class have struggled with in their life? Addiction. Addiction. Right. right. And what what do we call uh, alcohol? We call it spirits, don't we? Mm -hmm. Right. Spirits. And the reality is, when alcohol gets in you, it kind of controls you, doesn't it? The same drug be, I was using was the same, same thing. Ruined it was the drug. Life. Ruined my it controls life. you. Right? Yeah. So the reality is, is that these demons are real. They do possess people. And Jesus is going around, and we see it all through scriptures. He's casting these demons out. Now, in the book of Mark, we're not going to go there because we really don't have time to get into it. But in the, the passage that teaches us about the, the man living in the tombs, and, and Jesus casting the demon out. Remember, he said, what is your name? He said, we are legion because we are many. Right? And the devil begged Jesus. It says he begged Jesus and said, please uh, don't destroy us before our time. Allow us to go into those pigs over there. Remember? Mm -hmm. And one of the most beautiful lines in all scripture I love, it said, and Jesus gave them permission. Right? In other words, who was the authority figure in that conversation? Jesus. I have a question. Yes. The, so the demons went into the to the swine. Jesus allowed them to, and then the swine went over the cliff. But the demons didn't die. No. With the pigs. No. Okay. No. The pigs died. Yeah. <coughs> well, remember what well, the Bible the teaches demons. us about Satan: is that he is a murderer. Right? What does that mean? He kills stuff and, and a liar. And he has been since the very beginning. And the reality is is that because animals are not created in the image of God, like right. they 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 just went completely berserk. With with all of that evil in them, they just destroyed themselves. That's what happens so to what us. What happened when, to the demons after the pigs died after they killed? They they just go floating around. We we'll see that in just a minute. We'll, okay. we'll see that in just a minute. Alright. So So he was casting out these demons. The demon had gone out. The mute man spoke. So uh, remember, when God is at work in a person's life, there's evidences of it. What was wrong with the guy before Jesus healed him? He was mute. He couldn't speak. And now what happened? He can speak. Now, y'all remember, we've talked about this several times in this class over the years. There are physical realities that have spiritual implications. So if a person is physically deaf, what would be the spiritual parallel to that? Not being able to what? Hear the word. Hear the word. If someone is <laughs> physically blind, what would be the spiritual par parallel of that? No, they can't see the things of God. Right? See the truth. If a person is crippled 
physically, what would be the spiritual parallel to that? They're not able to walk according to God's word. They're not able to walk. Alright, so there's these spiritual applications that can be applied to these healings. In the same way that God can cause a blind man to see, God can open the eyes of an unbeliever so that they can see him. They can, he can open their ears so that they can hear his truth and his promises. He can, uh, recreate their heart, right? Create in me a new heart, O God. And so God does, in the same way he does these physical miracles, he can do the same spiritually in our lives as well. And so he casts these demons out. But some of them said he's casting out demons by Beelzebub. That word means prince, uh, uh, lord of the flies. It means it comes from uh, most high prince from Baal, one of the Canaanite gods. And so uh, the, they said that these people are saying the only way that Jesus is able to throw these demons out of people is by using the power of the devil. So he's a devil worshiper and he's throwing these demons out because he has the power of the devil. And it said others to testing test him were demanding a sign from him. Now y'all remember in the past we've talked about the effects of Jesus' proclamation of truth in the gospel. Remember we said there were different ways that people react to the truth of the gospel proclamation. What are the different ways that we can react to the gospel message being proclaimed? <clears throat> we can reject it. Or you can embrace it. Embrace it, believe it, return from sin itself and receive it. And what what was some and what was one of the other ones we learned? Ignore it. <laughs> yeah. You can re, that would be a rejection of it, right? But not only that, there could be some that are truly like struggling to believe it. Mm-hmm. If God is at work in that person's life, what will happen? His power will overcome their struggle and they will see. But a lot of people were chasing after Jesus because they were his sheep and they heard his voice. But some people were chasing after him because he was like the magic man. He just had yeah. he had magic tricks to show. Yeah, we're talking about that in John 6 after yeah. he fed the 5,000. Right? Yeah. And then they're still asking, what can you show us? Show us a sign. Good. He's like, I just walked down the water. Oh, feed me again. Yeah. Right. Me again. Now, exactly. I want you all to remember this. This is something we've repeated over and over in this class again. In the Bible, the world teaches you that seeing is believing. But the Bible teaches us that believing is seeing. It's the exact opposite. What you'll find is Jesus for three and a half years was going around proclaiming the gospel truth. And some people received him, believed him, but most did what? Rejected him and denied him. After he died and was buried and rose again from the dead, the only people that the Bible shows us saw him after the resurrection was who? The believers. After that resurrection, there was no more opportunity for those who had rejected him to see him physically with their eyes. What about Pentecost? There were thousands of people there. They received him and they believed him. But did they see his physical body? Yeah, that was that was. After. I mean, he's very good. Yeah, that's that's because he said, "I go back to the Father and I send my Spirit, who will convict you of your sins." And so it was the Holy Spirit that allowed them to see. But Jesus was going around showing, 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 and the more he showed, the more people said, "What? 
Show me something else. Show me something else. Show me something else. Because the physical sight, the physical evidence will never convince somebody that he is who he says he is. If you've ever tried to reason with one of your friends, I have a dear friend that I think of quite often when I say this. If you've ever tried to convince somebody who rejects the Bible as God's word, that it's God's word, you can give them all of the evidence in the world you want, and they're still not going to what? They're still not going to believe. Yeah. You can give them archaeological proofs and say, oh, we found chariots buried in the Red Sea. You can say, oh, we found Noah's Ark on Mount Ararat. You can do whatever you want to to give people physical proof, and they still will not believe. And the reality is that even works when you talk about somebody like a, a Benny Hinn or a, one of these prosperity preachers, one of these healing ministries. The people that are going there are not going there to see the kingdom of God. They're going there to see a, a, something wow. Dog and pony share. Yeah. And at the end, I want y'all to look because if, if we're going to run out of time, I want to make sure that you recognize this emphasis. Look at Luke eleven twenty eight, and look what he says. But on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Mine so, says keep it. Same thing. Observe. Right. So, the reality is, is all of this is showing us that the true believer is one who what? Hears God's word and does what he says. There are many people, Jesus says this, there are many people on the judgment day that are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? And didn't we feed the poor? And didn't we do this? And what is Jesus going to say? Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Right? So when Jesus said, you workers of iniquity, what he was saying was, the proof is in the pudding. You can run around all day long telling people that you believe in God, but if your actions do not follow your words, you are a liar and a hypocrite. You see? And what's the problem with the non-believer? They're trusting what they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and think with their physical mind. The true believer is one who has had his heart changed by God, is filled with the Spirit of God, and is able to see the things of the kingdom of God that the world can't see. One of the greatest being, I, I personally feel this, one of the greatest things, one of the greatest gifts that you and I should have as believers is that we know Jesus is coming back. We know that everything is going to be okay. That's what the world around you is looking for. That's what you were looking for when you were struggling in drugs addiction. You just wanted everything to be okay. I just wanted to be all right. But the true believer has a knowledge in his heart and his mind that everything is going to work out according to God's plan and will. And so even in a world that's falling apart all around me, I am at peace because I know who I believe in and I'm convinced that he's able to keep me until trying to that explain last to day. my son because he worries about all these things that are happening and he says you don't seem to worry about right it's not that we don't struggle with worry and doubt but we there do. is a I knowledge do. within there is a knowledge within inside of it and so here's the deal one of the y- y'all were talking about this at the beginning of our class today these missionaries that Matt was telling you about what did they do they took all of their goods all of their things and buried them in a coffin uh, packed them in a coffin and put them on a ship with them to go overseas to serve for Christ to die for Christ know. right well what is the, what are they saying they're saying I'm leaving this world behind and I'm going on to what Christ has called me to do and the truth of the matter is this 
the gospel calls us to suffer for the name of Christ. It's not something we hear in our pulpits very often these days. But the reality is you're going to struggle financially. You're going to get sick. You're going to get cancers. You're going to get heart diseases. You're going to get pain and suffering. You're going to see your children die. You're going to see hurt and suffering all around you in the world around you. That is a part of this world. That is what this kingdom presents to you. And Jesus called us to die like Dave said at the beginning of our class, die to ourselves and live for Christ. And the true believer, the one that truly has the kingdom in their heart, is able to see beyond the suffering and pain and say, even though my body's falling apart, I have an eternal body coming to me in just a few days. Even though this world is falling apart around me, I know that God has a kingdom that will is established and will last forever. And so as a true believer, we're able to see beyond our problems. We're able to see beyond our suffering. Now, I didn't say we don't suffer and we don't have pain because we do. But the difference in a believer and a child of this world is, is that the believer has already overcome that because he knows that he has someone who's taking care of him. And he knows that God is even going to use everything that I go through in my life for His, our good and his glory. And we've accepted that and we trust him with it. And so Jesus is casting out the demon. And some of the people said that he's casting out uh, devils by uh, demons by Beelzebub, the king, the prince of the devils. But others are asking him for a sign. Now listen, what they, they're, they're saying, show us something to prove to us that it's your kingdom. And what did he just done? He had just cast out a demon, right? Just like Matt brought up. In Matthew 6, they had a belly full of bread and fish. And what did they say? Show us something to prove that you are who you are. Uh-huh. And and God, listen, there's not a single one of us in this room that don't struggle with that same kind of unbelief. I want God to prove to me He is who He is because when I pray, I want Him to answer my prayers. And how do I want Him to answer my prayers? Just like I got them planned out. You see? Show me you're really there, God. Answer my prayers. So, they're demanding a sign. But but look at verse 17. We've seen this before in the Scriptures too. What does this tell us? But he knew their thoughts. What does that tell us about Jesus if he knows their thoughts? He's God. He knows what right. he's right. In John chapter 1, it says he knows what's in the heart of man. Now, whether he was surpassing his uh, human uh, uh, being... And seeing into their minds and knowing their thoughts in that way, using omniscience, I don't know. I do know that the Bible tells us that as a man, he grew in wisdom. Well, he did that all the time. When he did these miracles, they were miracles. Right. And so he, looking into your heart, I mean, that's God right. looking into your heart. Yeah. He, he can know in there. But, but there again, even in a human <laughs> sense... How many of you know your kids? Like when they approach you, oh, yeah. you already know what they're you know what <laughs> like. You know what they're thinking, yeah, yeah. like right? Oh, yeah. And the reality is, he had been involved with man for so long that it was like he knew what was coming. He was a student of human nature. Yeah, he knew. Yeah. So the reality is, does Jesus have the ability to look into sure. to a man's mind and know exactly what he's thinking? Yes, but he also has the human wisdom to know humanity. Remember, he became like us so that he could identify with us. He didn't become a sinner. He became a man dwelling in the flesh so that he could understand when we struggle and we suffer. So he identifies with us in that way. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and a house divided against itself falls. What does that mean? 
a house divided against itself falls. Well, you can't have uh, be good and bad at the same time. Good, right? It's a law of non-contradiction, right? Something can't be tr- fully true and fully false. It can't contradict itself. That's what Abraham Lincoln right? said. I want you to think about your own struggles with addiction. When do we finally give back in and fall into our addiction again? When we give in to those, the evil that's within us, the, the, desire, the human desires, the, the, the carnal desires that we have. If my, and we're going to see this here in a second. The truth of the matter is this, guys. If my life is full of Christ, if Christ is truly in me and Christ is truly running my heart and my mind, my desires are going to be towards Christ and not me. And addiction is a me thing. Right? Now, I'm not saying that Christians don't struggle with addiction. But the reality is, if my life is full of Christ, it's not going to be full of the world. Well, it can't be both. You brought up the point that those things we say, but it's not a 24-7 kind of life. You don't do it 24-7. You wander off like the dog, you know, and next thing you know, you're playing your video game or one thing or another. And, or when you're praying and, and you kind of slip off and something. I mean, we all do. I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying that's what we do. You can condemn me because I think everybody else. probably faces in the truth. Everybody does face it. <coughs> the difference is, so what is Jesus' followers known as? Disciples. All right? A disciple is someone who is under the discipline of a teacher. As a, as a former addict, mm-hmm. as a former person who was an abuser, and when I look back on my life now, the tendency is to fall back and to think about the things that I used to do. And when I think about the things that I used to do, I don't ever think about the police chasing me. I don't ever <clears> think <throat> about the sheriff's warrants on my uh, porch. Right. I don't ever think about the uh, the broken bank accounts and the the horrible things that I did to my family and my friends. I don't think about those things. I do now. I think about the club and the nightlife and the fun and the joy. But the reality is is that the child of God is able to see beyond those things. And what we have learned to do is we have learned to discipline our minds that when we get into those thought processes to get out of them. And how do we do that? We turn back to the Word of God. We turn to the cross and look and see our Savior who has shed, poured His blood out on that cross to pay for all of those wicked things that I have been doing. Plus, we make it about Him and not us. Plus, didn't Proverbs say that He gives us a whole new set of desires? He will give you the desires of your heart, meaning not the ones you've had, the sinful desires. He gives you desires that are in line with His will. Right. No doubt. And again, I want us to remember this. The process of being conformed to the image of Christ is a lifelong thing. It's a lifelong struggle. It's not just something you're going to get over and say, all right, I've, I've overcome. I'm an achiever now. Like The reality is there's going to be everyday battles. And the beauty is that He's given us those new desires. He's given us a new heart. And He's filled us with His Spirit in a way that we... He's, he's not going to tempt me beyond the point that, that I can handle. You know, he, he's not going to pour those temptations out of the way. That I'm, he doesn't give me a way of escape is the way the scriptures puts it. And there's people that are going to hate you just like they hated him. Yeah, no doubt. No, no doubt at all. So, <clears throat> he says if Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? So, what is he saying? He's saying, look, 
if the devil is the one giving me the power to go around and throw the devil out of people, right? The what, devil's gonna lose. He's, he, he's, gonna, he, he's destroying. He's cutting his nose off to spite his face. He's destroying his own kingdom. Why would he do that? Now, I do believe this. I do believe that in the modern day, I believe that there's a lot of these prosperity preachers and stuff on TV that you see throwing out demons out of people and stuff, that that's just completely the work of the devil, just making a big show, a big circus. Oh, yeah, it's a lot. You can see them on uh, YouTube. Yeah. How uh, you, they say it was the lady that she kept, like, feeding off of men. And then she went to a church service, and then the, 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 the pastor uh, tabbed the demon out of her, and then she finally found somebody she loved. I don't believe that. So the reality is this. There are a lot of people looking for signs. And the devil is very capable of giving you signs. That's one of the signs. Right. Yeah. But what does God say that the true child of God looks to? Let's go to the end of the passage again. Blesses the one who hears. hears the word of God and does it. That is the sign that we're truly his disciple, that we're truly his believer. And not only that, when we do that, it brings blessing in our life. You are a blessed man if you can hear God's word because God had to open your ears and your heart to hear it. And you are a blessed man if you walk in his word because what does David tell us in in Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walketh in, and not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standing in the way of the sinner, but his his feet, his ways delight in the ways of the Lord. He's like a tree that's fruitful. So, you are a blessed man when you can receive and believe God's word and walk in it. Would that also be a good litmus test for a pastor too? Discernment in the church when you go to a church and you hear a guy like you were just talking about? Yeah. Is this man yeah. living out the word? Right. And you I talking about specifically casting out demons? No, I'm talking about when you go to a, you know, a dog and pony show church where guys are doing this kind of stuff. Is it a good litmus test to see, okay, is this guy preaching and teaching the word? I mean, that's what well, we did. When we were looking for a church. Because you need to know this. You need to know the word. So I, I know of a church. I know of a particular church. I love the guy. He's a dear friend of mine, mm-hmm. and I do believe he's a believer. But he's very, very charismatic, and he's really struggles but he's a pastor and he has a church mm-hmm. and he will put advertisements up on facebook and say this come to our church and feel the power of the spirit of god he is at work in our church and is the church is on fire now what is the problem with that the problem with that is this jesus teaches us that the holy spirit will never talk about himself Correct. he always points us to christ so if I come out of a church service and somebody says to me, boy, the spirit was really moving in that church today. And I felt him all over me. Right? You need to be careful with that. How many times do you come out of church and, and, and hear somebody say, man, did you hear that sermon? That was awesome. Did you hear how? Yeah, yesterday. Yeah, did you hear how he compared Matthew and John together and, and, and brought that out where I could see it? Well, you're, you're Did you ever know that? Role, are right? you? So what are, you, what are you talking about? You're talking about the Word and the fact that Christ was lifted up for all the world to see. Right. And that should be our focus. Right. Not on the signs. Because here's the sign. The true sign that God is at work in your life is when you are conformed to the image of Christ. And if that's happening, the world will see it. You don't have to make it obvious. It will be obvious. And just like you said... When we do live for Christ, when we live according to His will and His ways, the world's going to hate us for it. And so, he says, 
but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom... Has... So, what he's telling the people in that crowd is this. Somebody's throwing these demons out of the people. It's either Satan or it's God. And if you say it's Satan, you're wrong. And if you say it's God, then believe me. You see what he's doing? He pinned him into a corner. Yeah. You, here's a sign. These demons are coming out of people. Either the devil's throwing them out of himself, and he's destroying his own kingdom, yeah. or the finger of God is at work. Now, how many of y'all remember the finger of God before? We've heard that before. Didn't Daniel. Huh? Daniel. He good. And Daniel went. Ten Commandments. Adam and Eve. Ten Commandments. Adam and Eve. Yeah. How about this one? And Pharaoh commanded his magicians to make gnats, and the. The yeah. magician said, we can't do this. This is the finger of God. Yeah. And, and that just goes to show you that Nazareth truly, really, like, you can't copy that curse. Like, this no, because you can't create something out of nothing. <laughs> right. That's God. Right. And so, this is the finger of God. And what was their implication in that? This is the God at work. So, the finger of God is an expression of his power at work in the world around us. He wrote those commandments on the stone. Uh, he wrote the, the the warning on the wall, right? The handwriting's on the wall. And so the truth of the matter is, he said, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, there, we, we just have just a little bit of time left. I do want to try to get through this. I really don't want to get too far into kingdom theology, but the reality is the kingdom of God has always been the kingdom of God is being established right now, and the kingdom will come. There's a past, present, and future reality to the kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. We're living in the now and the not yet. Right. It's going to get better. I just got finished reading a book this week that was explaining about how exorcism, casting demons out of people, is a physical expression of, of the, the reality that the kingdom is being established in the world around us. So stuff like that is true. Huh? Stuff like that is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So what's happening? And so when when my when my dear dispensational brother reads Revelation 20 and he hears that Satan is bound, he's thinking of during a millennial reign of a thousand years that he's bound. For the person who thinks of it in the now and the not yet sense, he sees it in this way: that Jesus just told us that. Uh, if you want to steal the strong man's goods, you go into his house and do what? Bind him, Bind him and then you plunder his goods. Let's look at that. Yeah. Right? Look what he says. Can we answer Juliana's question? She wants to know if the demons are being cast out. Yes. Nowadays. By yes. priest. <laughs> now, That's true. when a strong man, look at verse 21, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house and his possessions are undisturbed, but when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all of his armor on which he relied and distributes his plunder. <clears throat> all right, so he's using this example of someone in a house, a strong man. And the term house is more like a castle, a walled fortress, a defended territory. And now you go in and you try to steal the strong man's goods. Now, what is the point of tying the strong man down? So he can't fight. He can't defend it. He can't defend his goods anymore. And then you go in and you plunder out his goods. Now, what is the what is the example Jesus is talking about? Does who would the strong man be in this story? Jesus. Well, 
Boy, he's the stronger man. The demon. The demon, Be- Beelzebub Satan, is the strong man. And he has a kingdom, and it's defended. All right? Meaning the person's body. Right. Well, the person's body or the world. Or the world, yeah. He has the authority as the, he's the prince of this world. Right. And he's got his defenses set up. He's got his demonic hordes running things. He's got darkness being spread all over. And when Jesus comes in, it says he... He says he wants to plunder his goods. Well, what would the goods be in the kingdom? Is it fish and birds and bees and flowers and trees? Lives. Lives. Huh? His devotion to Christ? Huh? Lives. Yeah. Yeah. Human souls. People created. That's what you want. And so what is the devil doing to people who don't believe in God? He has them lost. They're dead in trespassing and sin. Walking according to the course of this world. Walking according to the power, the prince of power in the air. That's working in the sons of disobedience. So what has he done? He's enslaved the people, just like Pharaoh enslaved God's people. Then God, Jesus comes in and says, let there be light. And what happens? People begin to be set free from their bondage. <clears throat> you see how that works? The devil couldn't understand the light, right? Well, he don't like it. He <laughs> runs from it. Oh, he knows it. They all know it. So... Jesus is saying, if you want to go in and steal this man's goods, you're going to have to go in and bind him. And so, one of the realities is is that Jesus coming and establishing His kingdom, His dying on the cross to set the captives free, His death, burial, and resurrection to prove that His work was finished, right? It is finished, is a reality that now the devil can no longer deceive the nations. Now, when Jesus came, who did he come to? The Gentiles or the Jewish, Jewish. people. Right? And they rejected him. And then what happened after that? When you read the book of Acts, the first part of it is in Jerusalem. And then what happens? The message goes out to all the world. And so the reality is, is that Jesus, by his coming, has literally bound Satan where he can't do what he used to do. He had the whole world in darkness. The only people that truly had light was the Jews. But now God has set that light out over the whole world. And what's happening? Now that the devil has been hindered, he's bound like like a dog on a chain. He can only go so far. Now that he's bound, now the gospel message is able to go out and be proclaimed. And what's happening now that that gospel is being proclaimed? The devil's goods are being plundered. You used to be in bondage to sin and death. You You were a devil's slave. And Jesus comes and sets you free. That's what Martin Luther King was talking about in his speech. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Now, now he was using it, comparing it to the bondage of of racism and slavery in this world. But the reality is, is that that allusion to Scripture was, is that God has set us free to be the people He created us to be, instead of the people that the devil has, has has bound us up into and made us. Right, and so Jesus is saying that you have to destroy the strong. You have to tie the strong man up. That you have to plunder his goods, and that's what's happening every day. When you go out and share the gospel message, when you go out and just open up your Bible with a friend and let them read something, and their mind starts thinking about things, God is at work, and because His word is being shared, and that between His word being shared and the power of His Spirit, that's how His kingdom is coming. How it works. Uh, okay, let me stop you here because I'm not trying to end the, the course, but I, you you blew my mind when you said people are casting out demons, and I, I, and I see yeah. this 
exorcism kind of thing going on. Right. That's not what you're talking about. You're talking about the Holy Spirit is casting doubt out of our minds and things like that. Are you talking about, you know, laying on of hands and all this kind of stuff? Well, who, we need to clear that up because Juliana's watching okay. YouTube. All right. So. <clears throat> all right. We're gonna we'll finish with this. When I first began to work in uh, the ministry as a chaplain at a children's place, mm-hmm. one, literally one of the first nights that I ever went into the place, there was a girl, she was in a corner, she was pull, literally ripping her own hair out, screaming and cussing and hollering, and they came down to the lobby and got me. They said, we, we really need you to come up and put your hand on this girl and pray for her, all right? And I went up there, and it was one of the most terrifying things that I've ever experienced in my life. It was not something that was fun. I did not feel empowered. I felt weak and helpless. And I also felt very broken for this child because she truly was possessed. And I prayed for her. Um, I shared some scriptures with her. She finally got to a point where she was a little bit calm. It was on Christmas Eve. Mm. I'll never forget it. And the child's name was Grace. That was her name. So that night I went home, and I, w- I literally went home from the hospital literally, like, shaken. Like, m- my hands were literally shaking on the steering wheel. I was so distraught. This child was broken. She was in bondage, and she could not be saved. So I called a bunch of people that I knew from different churches and places and asked them to all be praying for me for this girl, Grace. Mm-hmm. All right? And so I went home that night, and I literally went through the Bible, and I got a, a concordance and... I went through the whole Bible and found the word grace. Every time the word grace was, and I highlighted it. And I took this little Bible and I wrote all kind of notes to her, et cetera, et cetera. And then the next morning, on Christmas morning, I went back to the hospital. And um, I, I brought it to in and we gave that Bible to that child for a Christmas present. Well, the next week at Bible study, she came to Bible study. Yeah. And she sat down in a chair and I started teaching the class. And all of a sudden, she just got this blank look on her face, and she pulled her knees up to her chest. She stared at the wall, and then she just stood up and walked out. And I've never seen the child again, ever. Now, I don't know if God delivered that child or not. I do not know. But I do know that what she was struggling with was very real. Mm-hmm. And I do know that the only power that could have set her free from that is God, not me. Yeah, well, I can understand that, but... Now, are there... Are there is it possible that you can pray over someone and have them be set free from demonic possession? I believe that. Yes. I believe that. The problem that the problem in the modern era is that it's a show. It's a dog and pony show. And this is just something else that I learned about working with these kids in this hospital. So let me let me remind you of this, and then we, we will close. All right. That you saw how that went. I've never seen that girl again. I do. I do to this day. Y'all keep it down. There's a tornado watch. Okay, that's fantastic. So, I do know this for this. You saw how that went. And this is what I learned. The devil would love for you to have a show. You can bring holy water and crucifixes and you can go in and make a big scene and have WrestleMania 6 on a, on a board. The devil loves it. It's a show. It's, it's a show. It distracts from the reality. Right. But I do remember another child, and this child's name was Joanne. I'll never forget this kid as long as I live. Uh, she was struggling with the same kind of stuff. We went in. I read the Bible with her over about a six-week period. And... Uh, 
<clears throat> I took a Bible and we got it. One of the things that we would do at the hospital with these kids, especially the girls, we would get the book of First John and we would highlight the word love, life, light, and truth all, all through it. And then what we would do would say, now take your Bible and in the next couple of weeks we want you to go through and find out how many times the word life, love, light, and truth is in it. And they would do it. But I remember after about eight weeks with this kid coming to our Bible study, I looked over in the corner, I saw her over in the corner, and all of a sudden she just she just started not sobbing loud, but the tears just started pouring from her eyes. After the, she didn't say anything in the class, nothing ever said about it in the class. But as soon as they all left, she came over to me and I said, "You know what happened?" She said, "Jesus saved." There wasn't no altar call. There was no. There, there was no altar call. There was no, none of this. Just shut, shut the door, Lori. You ain't gonna be able to out talk. <laughs> No, I'm just asking you to clear the door. No move when you get there. Sounds like we need an exorcist out there. So, the point is this. That child trusted Christ as her Lord and Savior. And the reason that she trusted Christ as her Lord and Savior is, number one, God was at work in her life. Number two, she read the Bible for herself. She read the words, and God opened up her eyes and her life so that she could believe it. And she believed it. And there was no holy water. There was no rosaries. There was no none, none of that nonsense. It was God at work in that child's life. And she believed. It goes right back to that last verse. Right. Well, 28. I understand that perfectly. I mean, I've had a couple of experiences in my life where it was just the dam just broke. You know? Yeah. And, and uh, that... You know, one of them was listening to uh, Mary, uh, did you know, that was going, you know, and, and another was out at their, uh, the tabernacle out on Ferguson uh, uh, when they were doing the, the uh, passion play. And I certainly consider that part of a receiving of the Spirit. But I'm getting the impression you're saying that somebody comes up and like lays hands on you and... and you know, forces the spirit out of you. Well, we we know that the Bible tells us that if you have someone sick in your church, that the elders of the church are supposed to come in and order them all and lay hands on them and break them. Well, there's no wrong laying hands on them. I'm just saying that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to... Okay. Can so, you will a spirit... Can you will a spirit away from somebody? No. Okay. Only God's will can do okay. that. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So, speaking of dams breaking, there's a tornado warning here at the school, and all of these kids are acting like teenagers. I don't see anything. There's not. They're probably having a tornado drill. Zero adults out there yeah. monitoring this. All right, so let's close with a word of prayer. I hope everybody takes something in this lesson. I look forward to seeing you guys again in March, April, May. All right. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us together. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your truth. Uh, thank you for saving us, and we pray that you'll help us to continue to walk in your ways and be conformed to your image. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.